When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Holly. Hello, Dave. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. First of all, welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How are you, Holly? On that note, has it been determined how long we can say Happy New Year until did we decide it was until the end of January? I tend to think like uh, the first two weeks uh, are, are fine. And, uh, okay. I mean, my, my birthday's on the 19th. If you're still saying happy birthday, or ha- if, you're, if you're saying, I'm sorry, if you're saying happy new year and, ha- and happy birthday to me, then it's like, all right. Eh. No, oh, that's, a per- that's actually a perfect marker. So January 19th will be the day that I stop saying happy new year and I will start saying happy birthday. Okay. You could start saying happy birthday a little bit earlier. No, I, I, I like know to, I could, but I, I won't. I like to celebrate. Well, with birthdays, I like to celebrate a week early. Well, it's actually your birthday month. It is my birthday month. The uh, yeah. Starting on January 1st, I start getting all the emails of coupons and free things I can get. So uh, that's what I look forward to in January. And where do you go for your birthday? I always go to Denny's, of course, for a grand yes. slam, as one should. As one should. Yeah. Excellent. So we're, we're in the window. Happy New Year. How was, Happy New Year to you, too. How was uh, your 2021 experience? So while 2021 in and of itself was, you know, probably not a great year for people all around, I think for the podcast, it was pretty damn good. If this is your first episode, this is a good one to start with because this is going to be a clip show, meaning all the best parts of 2021 will be stuck onto one glorious episode. So if you really want to know what we're all about, this is, it's a good debt. Taster platter, right? Or what? What is a sampler? Poo 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 platter. A sampler platter, so to speak. <laughs> a poo poo platter. Sure, whatever you want. It's a platter. A platter is a platter puss. A platter of what difference does it make? Cocktails. Yes, it was good for our podcast. For the what difference does it make podcast? As I was looking through everything that we've done in the past year. Okay, before we launch into that, because it really was a fantastic year, I would like to thank you. I don't know if our listeners know that you are the official talent booker. Well, you are the unofficial talent booker. You book 99.99% of our talent of our guests. So thank you, because you elevated us to the next level last year, for sure. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I was very happy to talk to many of your friends as well. You have a number of uh, nice radio friends from all over the world that helped us in our countdown. In 2021, we looked back at the year 1984, and we looked at the songs that K-Rock played that year. Every year, we look at a different year. So this... (laughs) It's very confusing. So I'm confused. It's so nineteen. So 2021 equaled 1984. 2022 will equal 1985. Yes. We did talk to a number of radio friends from the past year in 10 song chunks about the songs that KROQ in Los Angeles, what they played back in 1984. They have their top 106.7. And we talked to 10 music directors and friends and family and whatever, what happened. And music lovers. And music lovers. 
It was actually a lot of fun. I, I think it's, well, it's definitely a highlight. First of all, it's a great excuse to talk to some of our friends. That's why I like it. You know, like we talked to Mike Marone, the founder of Sirius XM's Loft, uh, also now of Mike's Basement, Carmel Holt of Shiro's Radio, Kyle Meredith, music director of WFPK, which is 91.9 in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also the host of the Kyle Meredith with radio slash podcast program that you definitely need to check out. Uh, we also talked to Mookie, the program director at 88.5 FM here in Los Angeles. Russ Boris, the music director of WFUV, that is 90.7 in New York. J.C. Douglas, the one and only Canadian that I know. J.C., like all Canadians, is extremely polite. And so when we got to describing the Style Council and Paul Weller's transition from the jam to the Style Council, J.C. substitutes the word nuts for something completely different. Move on to number 57, <laughs> a little more smooth maybe for you. Uh, like some, oh, yeah. you, like, you like some smooth jazz? Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Style Council, My Ever-Changing Moods. At number 57, Style Council. At number Council. 57, yes. Did, did you like this, this move from Paul Weller? Yeah, I really did. I mean, I, I peripherally got into the jam, and, uh, and then I really liked the, the, the different kind of sound he was embracing. Must have been a... Uh, swift kick in the in the nerds to a bunch of uh, jam fans, but this was uh, quite nice. <laughs> also, was he plays Woody the the Christmas tree in Halifax? He is now Woody the Christmas tree. I guess was on hiatus for something like fifteen years, and now Woody is back, and J.C. Douglas is the voice. Banana. <laughs> you look it up on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Woody yes. the Christmas tree. You should. So that's how we start off our year, and that's how we will start off uh, our new year with uh, 1985, talking to 10 other people, 10 new people. So get started, Holly. Call up your friends. Uh, I'm on it. Okay. Excellent. You did book quite a few other fantastic guests that I only dreamt about in my previous life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we look back, we had, so besides the 10 music fans that we talked to about KROQ, we read a lot of books. We did. We are pretty well read this year, aren't we? Normally, as I've said in the past, books are for losers, but we talk to a <laughs> lot. He doesn't of... really say that. You have to see his face and know that he's joking. Dave we, is a literate guy. We we read 16 books. 16 books <laughs> well, in 12 months. That's insane. Yeah, well, <laughs> for me. For, for you, maybe. Maybe yes. I'm a little more literate than you. Because of our interviews, we got to talk to a lot of great people. And these biographies, these memoirs were fantastic they were so, all each each one was better than the next and we got some other great stories not just stories about the books and it was uh, a lot of fun my god we talked to some some uh, rock and roll hall of famers and miles copeland yeah as miles talked about he had mentioned the start of the police when they came to america You know, over the years, you know, I'd get asked questions. You're like, you know, what was the most important show you ever did? You know, and of course, they're assuming it would be, well, the police at Shea Stadium, you know, with 80,000 people going crazy or staying in Brazil at the Maracanã, you know, and, and 200,000 people, you know. And uh, I would say, well, no, it was none of those. It was actually a show in northern New York where the police played to four people, four. Uh, there were... There were more people on stage than there were on, in the audience, you know. But one of those four people happened to be a DJ 
who got enamored with the group because they walked out on stage and said, look, the hell with this. I mean, these people paid their money. Let's give them a great show, even though there's only four of them. And they did. And uh, that DJ was named Oedipus. He goes back to Boston and starts banging the Roxanne mm -hmm. single, which the police had given him, becomes a regional hit, gets noticed by A&M Records, who calls me up and says, is that my band? And I said, well, it is. Yeah. And he said, well, let's get him back over here. Let's promote the record. I said, yeah, let's do it. So that was the start of the police. Four and people. Four people. Holly, she chops up our episode into some fabulous video content. Check out our YouTube channel and you can see outtakes from all the interviews that we have done all year. And there are a lot of content on there that you might not hear in the podcast. So check it out. Indeed. One of our more popular clips was with Mary Gaucher. You were in a room with Guy Clark, Lyle Lovett, John Hyatt, Joe Eli, Steve Earle, Nancy Griffin. When I read those in, it's like, oh my God, to be in that room. And then you got singled out. Yeah, we're over at uh, McGuire's house. He's the photographer that uh, shoots all of them, shot all of them. They're not all alive anymore. But if you see a portrait with someone with the background, that's Jim McGuire's photo. He shot uh, the Highwaymen. He has a certain style. Jack, Guy Clark. He he's he's the Nashville photographer for those guys. And uh, his studio that often ended up uh, in song pulls. And uh, I was over there invited to a party, and it became a song pull. And and those great artists were there. And Nancy handed me her guitar and asked me to play one. I had done uh, a string of shows as her opening act, but been a super fan forever. Uh, for her, uh, her music, and uh, just, uh, just, I'm a Nancy Griffith super fan, and and so she knew me from opening uh, her shows, and she just said, "Mary, why don't you play us one?" And she handed me her guitar, uh, and I played it, and uh, I think I held my own uh, okay, and and at the end, uh, she told me to keep her guitar, and I have it right here. It's right back there. Mary Gaucher was such a great interview. She wrote a book, Saved by a Song, her memoir. She has really fabulous stories and what a good, kind, giving person. What do you think was our most popular, I guess I'll just say most popular because it's been airing since March, but what was our most popular interview? Oh, that's very interesting. If it's been airing since March, you're giving me, you're giving me a hint. I am giving you a hint. It was a really fun episode because... You could totally relate to it because you were a part of that scene. Are you talking about our talk with Tom Bojour and Richard Beanstalk? Yes, I am, Holly. Yeah, they were our, they were our most uh, popular interview from 2021. Funny, like you think pre-internet, like, yeah. how did you learn all this stuff? But like, you just did, you know, and you just, you found these records and some, I, I mean, I searched for probably... 15 years to find the leather records version of too fast for love <laughs> and when i finally did it was like i found it in london like in like the mid 90s and i couldn't afford to buy it because they were selling it for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and i remember begging them to <laughs> play it in the store just because i wanted to hear it because i've been i had been trying to hear it for most of my life at that point and they wouldn't do it but then like a few years later the internet was everywhere and like I just downloaded it and that was that, you know, and then I heard it. But you just you just would devote your life to finding out this information and you would. And Headbangers Ball, I mean, every Saturday, you know, 
once you're in and you sort of become a completist, like, I mean, I, I could not even venture to tally the number of bands I saw a video on Headbangers Ball and went and bought the record. And, you know, the bands on Headbangers Ball, most of those videos did not transcend into dial MTV. And, you know, that was sort of like, let's put it on here and see what happens. But, you know, like bands like Lily and Axe and Law and Order and things with Dangerous Toys, things that we don't even talk about in the band. You know, there was this one place, it was Headbangers Ball. And if you, 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 the amount of information that you could get just from faithfully watching that every week, which I did probably for four years in a row. And I think that it's why also people who are into this music who are our age, you know, now it's difficult to talk to people about music, I feel like, because there's a million bands, but there were X number of bands that were played on Headbangers Ball over during those years. And like me, I know them and Rich knows them and everybody else because we were all watching the same thing. And even the ones that didn't make it, it's like, oh yeah, I love that band. I wonder what happened to them. So there was this common place that you congregated that was curated and much more finite than the interwebs of today. Tom Boerger and Richard Beanstalk promoting their Nothing But a Good Time book, which was indeed Nothing But a Good Time. I lived that book. You were right. I don't know how I didn't pick that up. I totally lived that <laughs> book. They're my people. There you <laughs> I hope we have them back. They're, you know, also full of rock and roll knowledge. Indeed they are. And then so also talking about the time we uh, we talked haircuts and things like that. Uh, one of our <laughs> favorites, though, was... Uh, as we we interviewed Lawrence Gowan, who's the keyboardist in Sticks, and we were like, okay, we'll talk to Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. That should be fun. And then we did our research, and we were looking at videos, and we're like, dear God, this man had an amazing mullet. I'm quite proud of that Uber mullet that I had. Yes, uh, we are fans of the mullet, and you had a, a mighty fine one, my friend. You know, if you Google it, I think it's rated number seven of all time. I think I think I was only beaten out. I think John Stamos is one ahead of me. Stamos. Um, I think I think uh, MacGyver came in first place, but yeah, I've heard it called all kinds of names since then. The funniest one <laughs> I heard recently was um, one friend of mine, a British friend. So he he happened to see one of the old videos for the first time, like cosmetics. And he said, God, man, that's quite quite the Kentucky waterfall you had on there. Oh, yeah. Never heard of that. Never heard that expression. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Kentucky um, waterfall. What? Yeah. I think I prefer mullet. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I want to change it to the French pronunciation, the moulet. Mine was a moulet because it had that French influence from Quebec. Okay. And it's good to know that uh, we're now talking to, to the owner of one of the finest moulets around. <laughs> I can't believe that you didn't start the whole interview with that. I mean, that, that, that is that. And then recording at the Beatles house. I mean, just, you know, get right. your priorities together. You're right. You're right. Moulet, then Beatles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He was such a delight. Pull up any Gowan video and just treat yourself to the amazing hair stylings of, of Lawrence Gowan. Truly a, a work of art. And he's a talented musician as well. So are we on a hair theme? Are we on a hair theme? Do you do you have some? You have another hair anecdote you'd like to share? Well, it's not a hair anecdote, but I do remember some good hair from the band Spandau Ballet in the 80s. They had some great 80s hair. 
and fashion. Previous year, we talked to Dylan Jones about the New Romantics and that whole world. And so, of the Blitz Kids. Of the Blitz Kids, yeah. So now we got to actually talk to a, some, a musician that was a Blitz Kid, and that was Gary Campus Band of Ballet. And so, of course, we had to talk about that whole scene and get into the fashion and, and kind of learn about what how important it was. I remember my dad taking me to a market when I was about 11. I'm begging him to get some mohair trousers, baggy mohair trousers, which sort of suede heads and skin heads wearing. And of course, he took me to some tiny little tailor who was fantastic. And he made these trousers for me. I was very made up. But but later when we were at the Blitz Club, I remember, you know, and I'm living at home, my parents, you know, and uh, and I said, oh, you know, I really want to I've imagined these trousers that I want, mom. You know, she was a seamstress, but <laughs> I don't know if she was very good. Um, and I drew these trousers on with on a piece of paper. I said, I want a flat fronted and just just cut out. I've got I bought this moment this material which was electric blue and i said you know just pegs giant pegs i want so she made these two tra- these trousers for me they were quite tight i got them on i had to i had to pin them together and i and and but she forgot to put any zippers in them and any flies and i <laughs> i remember sort of going to the club and then going down to the toilet and just struggling to get them off i could get them off and i had to go to a cubicle i won't go any further to say it like i said this year each interview was more exciting and fun than the next it was just such a great year but when you remember how i was when you booked gary kemp i was like giddy this was like a dream for me as i was a huge fan but he was so great he released a new album he released a solo album in solo i know that these guys are trained in in working with the media but he made us so comfortable and he asked us questions yeah well that's because he has his own podcast (laughs) so could we be a raconteur also raconteurs also yeah sure why not we were the raconteurs (laughs) all right we're looking back at the year that is 2021 we're looking back but now we will look forward to coming back from our break Welcome back to our look back at 2021 on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. It's not the a glamorous rock and roll lifestyle a lot of times. And I think we learned that when we talked with Kristen Hirsch of Throwing Muses. She's a true artist. She didn't want to sell out her soul to become a, a musician. She wanted to create her art. Um, but she had to rely on these strange angels to, to help make her dreams come true and to help put out that art. So Kristen Hirsch has the book Seeing Sideways, and and in there she described uh, the impact that the Strange Angels had. Our bus was a great solution for us all to like, live on a bus and never stop working and traveling. And then the bus, you know, there was a fiery crash on a mountainside, and um, that was our home. It was our livelihood. It was everything my children had known, and. Mm-hmm. We, we pulled all our money we i told my bandmates i'll fly you home you know you you're off the hook here this is my failure you cannot play good music my bad i thought you could you cannot not whore yourself out blah 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 and they said no way we're pulling our money we're all going to finish this tour so 
by the time we got to the next club, all these people had started writing saying, we heard about your bus crash and we want to give you studio time. We want, want you to stay with us. We're going to give you guitars, amps, we play my club. What can we do so that you don't stop playing music? I'm crying right now just talking about it. But that was the strange angels. That became how my family continued, how my music continued, how I continued. I don't, I don't know what I would have done. I was ready to just, you know, drive off the mountainside that day, but they're still doing it. I can still make records for three recording entities because some people want to hear it. And, and it has struck the chord within me to do the same. We help the homeless every day here. My son and I go out and it's, you know, we live in Southern California. It's like 25% of the nation's homeless or something. And it became just a, a lifestyle. And then I realized that there are too many tendrils of giving that I have ignored. It, it isn't just the hungry, but also these strange angels who would write and say, oh, I just lost my job, but it's gonna be a few months. And uh, so we made this rule only if you can afford it. And for real, like we'll find a way to get you your soundtrack. If you can't pay for it, it will always be free. And uh, they've come to me and said, well, I, I'm starting a new business. And I was like, what, what is it? <laughs> you know, and it's um, CSA, you know, and so we get farm vegetables for the family. And it's become this network of not just giving, but receiving. Even the homeless, they tell us these stories that I would, I would never have known what humanity was here. They, they, this is like um, hunter-gatherer society in an urban environment. There's just so many different ways to give. I loved hearing her talk about them. She's such a an ethereal presence almost, you know, and she feels also when you're talking to her like she could be your best friend. <laughs> I believe, yeah, I believe the two of you had a nice connection together. It was nice. <laughs> Two mothers <laughs> bonding together. Moms, exactly. She is a mom of four kids and she is, a, she, they've had a very, uh, an interesting life, but yes, we totally bonded. So it's also great when, because we have musicians that they actually play something for us. Can you imagine? <laughs> they actually picked up an instrument and played. So that was really actually pretty cool. Uh, we've learned that uh, Jude Cole is, uh, we, we talked with Jude. He has uh, two great albums that came out this year. Really good albums. It was um, Kudamon and Coolerator. Coolerator was a bunch of uh, are some cover songs that he he loves uh, from the fifties. From the fifties, and Kudamon are, are originals. And he's learning to play the banjo, and he's actually really good at it. So he kind of uh, did a little rehearsal for us. It's oh. interesting. I'm I'm at that place at banjo where I'm actually you know I I play on my own. I'm pretty good, and then I get in front of people. And I forget everything I know. So the old the childhood nerves come back. You know, it's weird, but uh, I wouldn't think I'd have that. But I still do on instruments I'm not I'm not not that familiar with. So I'm going to use you two now and see if I can get through the first part of, of Foggy Mountain. I mess up and I don't do that alone. I, I get through it flawlessly alone. And then when I'm, when I, when I play in front of people, I, I become a complete novice. So 
That was absolutely worth the price of admission. <laughs> Um, and he's just so cool. He is very cool. I was I really nice to be reminded of uh, the the great music that he created back in the day, and now is is still still kicking it, doing some great stuff. Back in the day when Fee Waybill and the Tubes were creating music, they they were playing in house at the Whiskey, and uh, then they had to record. Apparently, the the Tubes weren't necessarily up to the task. <laughs> So how do you drive a producer crazy? And then the fourth album was now, and that was by a, a, by a producer named John Anthony. It, it was a crazy schedule. We all still lived in San Francisco at the time. And we had come to LA and we were playing the Whiskey A Go-Go. And we played the Whiskey for, I think, this that's what kind of drove me insane. We played the Whiskey two shows a night for three weeks in a row. Oh, a residency. Yeah. And then at two o'clock in the morning, we're all drunk out of our minds. We would go to the studio to record. (laughs) We would record from like two until 10. And then, you know, go home and sleep all day. And he had never worked like that before. And here we come in in the studio after, you know, doing two sets at the whiskey and we're all completely, you know, high as kites he just couldn't handle it he couldn't he just said what you know can't we just do a regular session no sorry (laughs) we're we're sleeping all day because we got a gig at night and so that was kind of a that was insane and then he so he ended up leaving and so it was left to us and we had a uh the, the second engineer on the product on the project was a a guy named don wood who is a one of our he was like our front of house sound guy for touring. And so he took over and we finished the record with him. And, and that was not a great record. And I mean, there were some wacky songs on it, but yeah, the great you- part about that record was we had Captain Beefheart come and play on our record. And we were all huge fans of Captain Beefheart. And he played on Kathy's Clone and we did a Beefheart song. Uh, my head is my only house unless it rains. And Oh, so that was really cool. And that's the best part, best thing about that album. But yeah, it's good to know that uh, Fee is, he also has a new album that came out this year called Fee Waybill Rides Again. You know, the tubes aren't in the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, Gary Kemp's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but John Ilsley is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. John Ilsley, the bass player from Dire Straits. He also, he wrote a book. He did. It's called My Life in Dire Straits. He went into his crazy rock and roll Hall of Fame story. It's just too much to believe. Well, put very simply, what happened was that the people who were running the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame decided who they wanted to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they decided without talking to us at all, without consulting us, that they wanted the original band to be inducted into the Rock and Hall of Fame. And they've done this before with bands that have broken up tens of years ago. And they think that by saying, we want the original band to get back together and come to the Rock and Hall of Fame, that that's gonna happen. Well, it doesn't work like that. And um, 
you know, Mark quite rightly, uh, you know, uh, said, it, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. And neither did I. It felt very odd to suddenly invite David and Pick, who we pretty much lost contact with completely, apart from the occasional email now and again, to suddenly put those two people back together in a situation across the world and, and try and make that work. It seemed just really odd. I, I, Mark said, well, he said, I, I don't really feel comfortable with this, to be frank, to be frank. And I said, well, neither do I, mate. But, you know, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not going. And I had to think about it quite carefully. And the problem with the problem with him not going was the fact that that meant that it was going to be very difficult to get somebody to induct us into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it all got a bit weird at one point. And um, I don't think they handled it very well, to be honest. So I, I just said to them the morning of the thing, well, if you can't find anybody to induct us into this thing that you've got here, I'm going to do it. And uh, they went, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, you give me no choice. Right. <laughs> you give me absolutely no choice. And I got, a, I got a bit angry about it at one point and I, thought, and I stopped myself and I said, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this thing. And if you don't want me to do it, then we probably won't do it at all. So it's up to you. And uh, in the end, they said, okay. So it was, it was kind of weird, but you know, you, suddenly you have to realize that it's going to go on and you just have to be grown up about it. And for me, it was a recognition by a pretty important organization of the band's history and uh, kind of a celebration, you know, of, of what we had achieved. And so I, I wanted to go there and represent the band and say thank you. Very sim simple as that. And I would have loved to have played. And to be perfectly frank, you know, we could have got something organized if they'd have, if they'd have, um, have been amenable to that. But they, you know, certain members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were being pretty damned awkward, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. I'm very happy to say that. It was, it was all too complicated and political and just got a bit sort of out of control. And I, I just didn't want to go there, really, to be honest. You know, I wanted this book to be a celebration rather than a, rather than an annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He seems so genuine. I said this about a lot of them, but he's so, so genuine and low key for a rock star and a rock and roll hall of famer. He owns a pub in his hometown. He is also super cool. He could be your friend. <laughs> he could be your friend. I, <laughs> I believe he was our friend for an hour. He was. I think of all the bands we listened to over this year or talked to, I'd start doing a deep dive into Dire Straits and their whole catalog. And I just, I just fell back in love with the band. I, I just, it was one of those instances where it's like, you know what? I, and I think John was right. Like, you know what? We made some great albums. We don't need to create any more necessarily. <laughs> we did it. We we became the biggest. They were literally the biggest band in the world in 1985, the year that we're going to attack uh, this year. Dire Straits were the biggest band in the world with Brothers in Arms. For a band that was that big, it was. It's kind of strange how you know they're not necessarily classic rock artists like your favorites. I don't think Dire Straits is uh, is listed as uh, or remembered as like that was that was a great band that you need to revisit. But it I is. Think you're right. I, I I agree with you. I but I think you're right in that in that observation. Yet, all the generations know Dire Straits. My own kids, you know, know and and like Dire Straits. 
And and I think John may have said it himself, that kids, you know, later generations are just as familiar with dire straits. Yet you're right. They probably aren't on everybody's, you know, top 10 list, but they should be. So then we also talked to another future Rock and Roll Hall of Fame artist. That was Gina Shock, drummer for the Go-Go's. And of course, she was thrilled to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Apparently, the Go-Go's are going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that true? Yeah. How about that one? How about that? That's spectacular. It's about time is all I have to say. But you know what? Better late than never. We were all sort of over the whole idea of it uh, because every year it would come and go. And we're like, God damn it. What's wrong with these people? (laughs) We should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And especially, I I don't know, she's getting a lot of pressure from my friends more than than the band. All your friends are like, what's what's going on? What's up with this? I don't know. You know, we're just doing what we do. We know what our contribution was and is. And we'll just continue doing what we're doing. And hopefully they're going to recognize that. And so then it happened, you know, that we were nominated. Now we're going to be inducted. And it's like, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, it's great. It's a wonderful thing. I'm pretty excited about it. And I know everyone in the band's excited about it. And now you have credibility with your friends. (laughs) Yeah, really. It's like, oh, my friends, they can't (laughs) believe it. I'm like, oh, God, neither can I. It's about time, though. Do you think it was the documentary last year that came out that was like, you know what, the Cocos had quite an impact on Yeah, Dave, I think that that really sort of jogs, jogged people's memories and got their brain flowing in a Go-Go's manner. You know, I think like people started thinking more about the band because the documentary was fantastic. Alice Nellwood did a an incredible job. What a brilliant documentarian she is. Um, this, the way she told our story was perfect. I mean, we we couldn't have been happier with the way she put it together and how she edited. I love that documentary. I'm re- we're all very, very happy with that. I think yeah. when, you know, that coming out and also, you know, it won a Critics Award and it was, it premiered at Sundance. Uh, but of course that's when COVID was just starting. But, uh, you know, that was uh, something that I'm very proud of as well. And so happy that Allison did the job she did because it's great. So you say she's thrilled to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think she was just as thrilled to be a guest on our podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, were, you were thrilled to have her on our podcast. <laughs> it was. I was. Like I said, the gear just kept getting better and better. She is a delight. And I got to say, I love her accent. She has retained that Baltimore accent. And <laughs> she's just a, she really, you sensed her genuine excitement for being in the Rock Hall, but also for having, being able to experience the life she's led. And now turning our attention to a non-musician, but an amazingly talented writer, David Wilde probably had our most commented upon clip of 2021. And that was his story of Paul and Linda McCartney talking about David's sons. This is Paul with my two sons at the backstage at the Grammys. And here's... Here's that crazy story. Oh, that's your that's your Twitter photo, by the way, right? That is, yes. That's yeah, okay. That's one. That's my Twitter photo, and it's one of the most meaningful ones for me because, okay, thirty years ago, I went on the road for Rolling Stone with Paul McCartney around the world. We went to South America. Oh. Linda was that was Linda's last big tour with Paul. Linda, unlike Holly, occasionally someone will take a liking to me, and Linda liked me. And for some reason, she did things like 
she took a photo of me backstage and said, I know you write books, so here's your free author's photo. So I have, I had a portrait <laughs> that I could put on books for years by Linda McCartney. She also, most importantly, when we got back to the States, we went through New Jersey, where I'm from, <laughs> and she said, and I think maybe she had someone in mind to set me up with. She goes, do you have a girlfriend? And I went, I actually just met a great girl and she's in New York visiting on, she was happy. And this was my wife, Fran, uh, now, but she says, I want to meet her. So I said, well, she's in New York. She could come out. She goes, bring her, she goes, invite her to soundcheck tomorrow at Giant Stadium. Uh, Who is at that show? Show off. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, well, and, and what, oh no, the best thing is a Paul McCartney soundcheck is better than a Paul McCartney concert because he does nothing from the concert. He did only other Beatles songs or early covers or favorite. He just riffs. And to this day, I went to one a couple of years ago. That's how he does it. Now he sells yeah. these tickets to that for charity to raise money for great causes. But at that point, I was the great cause was trying to get me. <laughs> and so Linda said, bring this girl. And this is like my fourth date with my wife is this. So that's why I'm still married. And so we, she and even though my wife doesn't like music or didn't then but she still was <laughs> this was a good invitation to lunch yeah. so we watched soundcheck and then we had lunch with linda and paul's like there in the afterwards that's a hell of a good date but after that linda pulled me aside and she said i'll never forget it she goes do you think i know about marriage and i'd been on the road with them and i realized mm -hmm. they had this amazing marriage and i went yeah and i grew up as in a divorced family, I didn't know much about good marriages, but I could tell this was better than that. And she goes, marry that girl now. And I went, what? She goes, just do what I say, marry her now. So that was Linda's gift to me. I, I proposed to my wife within a few months of that. Wow. We got married really quickly. And so cut to Linda sends me the photo, Linda gets sick and Linda is gone. Uh, all so sad. But when Paul finally, years later, came to the Grammys, which he had never done, I'm backstage at the prompter working with talent, which is what I do. Like we, we run through what the script is and we make changes and add a joke or take a joke away. My wife, who smartly kept our kids away from show business, by the time they were like 12 and 14 said, okay, they can come to the Grammys one show a year with, with her. That's like the only show my wife ever came to. She's coming backstage to where I am. And she goes, I have to show you a picture. And that picture is my wife took it because she's walking down the hall to find me. And Paul McCartney jumps up and says, and I tell you, even backstage at the Grammys, everyone is trying to get a photo of Paul. He does not ask to get a lot of photos. Paul said, I need a picture with those boys. And my wife took this picture of Paul surrounding the two of them. For years after this, I had two theories. One, Linda's spirit was telling him this because there's no way Paul could have remembered what my wife looked like and realized it was my kids. I couldn't believe that could be the case. Or the Jonas Brothers were on the show that year and the boys looked a little <laughs> bit like Jonas Brothers. I am from New Jersey. So I thought it's one of two things. It's either the hand of God through Linda or it's the Jonas Brothers scenario. Cut to for the anniversary of, I think it was the 60th anniversary of the Grammys. I'm so tired now, I don't know. 
I was sent to Chicago to get to talk to Paul about the Grammys. We were told you have 10 minutes with Paul on the side of the stage before he goes on to this amphitheater in Illinois. So I'm standing there grabbing quick questions as he's about to go on stage. We finish a minute before he goes on stage. So we're standing there on the side of the stage. And I said, Paul, I got to ask you one more question, not for this. And he goes, what? I go, and I told him, I said, I have the two things that could be why you asked for this picture. And he started to tear up. And I, I, I goes, he said, don't make me cry before I go on stage. Okay. And I realized it wasn't the, you know, at least it, in our hearts and minds, it wasn't, it was Linda. So that's, that's why that will always be on my phone. Always. That's, that's the most important uh-huh. photo of all. Can I just say how much I love having David on the show? He is so funny and so smart and he's such a great writer and he's so well-spoken and he always has an enormous contribution. We could talk to him every week and he would have something new to add. He is a, a total treat and I hope that he will keep coming back for as long as he wants to come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. So he got to meet his idol. What you might forget is that sometimes a lot of these musicians also have idols that they want to talk to. And we had a number of those instances. Okay, so we all know the song Pure Energy by Information Society, where Leonard Nimoy is saying, pure energy, pure, pure energy. You know, they they do that over and over again. The clip from Star Trek, in case you're not familiar yeah, with it. Leonard Nimoy played a Vulcan named Spock <laughs> on this, this little-known show called Star Trek. And Kurt Larson of Information Society sampled that little clip of him and put it in the song and it became a number one hit. And he actually got the opportunity to talk to Leonard Nimoy and to find out if he even knew about it. We were thrilled, you know, that Leonard Nimoy himself, you know, had, had become the, the, um, the midwife of, of the Information Society album. But we always kind of suspected that it was one of those stories that they tell at record companies that's not only embellished, but kind of ridiculously made up but lo and behold 10 years later or more a photography show going on here in san francisco there are all these different photographers showing their works and most of them had you know books being published of their photography and i don't know how much you know about leonard nimoy but one of the things he did in his late career was he got into photography yeah so he was one of the people showing now i thought of that as the leonard nimoy photography event and we're going to go to it and i thought wow, maybe I can even, maybe I can even like say hi to him. And we got there pretty early. There weren't many people there yet. And Leonard Nimoy was sitting at a table by himself (laughs) with one assistant. Like there was nobody there to talk to him at all. So I just got to stand there and talk to Leonard Nimoy for half an hour. (laughs) And one of the things I asked him about was, hey, check with you and see if this actually happened. Because we've been told, you know, that blah, blah, blah. And he listened for a while and he eventually went, oh, yes, I, I remember that. That was one of Adam's things. Yeah, yeah, yes, I, that, that's true. I, I did do that. I never heard the song. So Kurt Larson of Information Society, he got to meet Leonard Nimoy. That was a good way to do it. Our friend Alec Whiteman, he is on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he has a great book, Music in His Life is what it's called. Music uh, in My Life. 
Oh, why did I put music in his life? <laughs> because it is his life. It, the it's title not my life. Is. It's his life. You're right. <laughs> exactly. So Alec Whiteman has a book, Music in My Life. And he, of course, like the, the whole world, loves Bruce Springsteen. And you see him across the hall and you want to say hello. What do you do? Fortunately, Alec had an in. He had a mutual friend. Go ahead and tell us how Tom Russell got you your in with, with Springsteen. Well, Tom, Tom had showed me, you know, some point, 96, 97, a, a letter that he had received from, from Bruce. He was living in, in Brooklyn and he got a, a, you know, brown envelope in the mail one day that says, that, that has a letter inside congratulating him on his new CD and it's signed by Bruce Springsteen. He, he to mind, I think to Tom's knowledge, he had no connection with it. Where that got to Bruce, I don't know. Bruce was kind enough to write to him and he showed it to me, which was a big deal. So yes, I was at an after party uh, relatively early in my tenure on the Rock Hall board. And I saw Bruce standing across the way with a woman <laughs> leaning against the bar at the, at the Bull and the Bear at the Waldorf Astoria. It was a private party uh, that Jan was throwing uh, after an induction ceremony. And it was, you know, 2, 2.30 in the morning. And I mustered the courage to walk over and Bruce mm -hmm. was just leaning against the bar. And the woman was standing next to him. And I walked up and said, uh, I'm Alec Whiteman. I'm on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I just wanted to thank you for all you've done for the Rock Hall. And he just leaned there with his arms folded. He was nice. I don't mean to imply anything to the negative because he's a wonderful guy, but you know, he was unmoved at that point. And, uh, and I said, and I have to tell you, I have a good friend named Tom Russell who once showed me a letter you wrote him congratulating him on his, on his new CD. And Bruce stood up real straight and his eyes lit up and he shook, shook my hand. He says, you know, I remember writing that letter. He said, you know, Tom and I have never met. And I said, yeah, I understand that. But I said, he'll be getting an email from me at 3.30 in the morning telling him <laughs> I met you. Uh, and with that, she stuck out her hand and said, I'm Patty Skill. And I said, I know who you are. And uh, you know, didn't want to disturb him, but thanked them both, talked for a couple of minutes and walked away. Okay, so that is the right way to do it. You have an in, you've got a good friend, maybe your friend Bruce Springsteen will open up to you and talk a little bit to you. Very exciting. Perhaps you're a Tom Sharpling and you see Patti Smith and she is your, uh, you know, you love Patti Smith, but you don't want to seem like be gushing. You want to be cool. That always works out really well. That right. When you try to be cooler than the, uh, than the artist, does that work? How do I stand out from the rest of these dweebs that uh, ask, yeah. ask Patty a question? I should have just tried to fit in with the rest of the dweebs, but I became a bigger, I transcended dweebness or whatever with my question where I asked, uh, sharing an elevator with Patty Smith in San Francisco. And I was just like, what, like you said, what can I say to her that will just make me stand out from the pack? And then uh, I remembered a conversation I had with a, a cab driver in Memphis who insisted that the best band he had ever seen live was Humble Pie. And so then I asked Patti Smith, uh, did you ever see Humble Pie back in the day? And then back in the day is a phrase I've never used before or since. And so it felt completely unnatural coming out of my mouth. And she seemed slightly terrified by the question 
and I'm pretty sure she got off on a floor lower than her floor just to get away from me. And I probably, she's probably if in the stairwell trying to get back to her room, uh, just to get away from the weird guy in the elevator asking about humble pie. So it did not go well. Thanks to Tom for that story. I, now I know how not to do it. And, and then I guess we, we should close out this episode by talking about someone who's not even a musician. You say not even as if he's nothing. No, he's nothing. He's just <laughs> Phil Rosenthal. He just created Everybody Loves Raymond. and he, He's got a show called Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. Yes. Maybe you've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe you have. And maybe... Maybe you think he's just the the funniest guy in the world and just uh, just a, a tremendously talented man, and you get to talk to this guy. So that, <laughs> that and we talk, we got to talk to him courtesy of his bestie David Wild. Yes, well, thanks to David Wild, we did get to talk to Phil Rosenthal, and you know what are you going to do when you have someone who loves comedy and someone who loves food? You talk Bruce Springsteen, of course. I was prepared to get to let you guys do it when I knew that we were going to grill him a little bit about Springsteen, even though I could have happily talked about food and travel and Ray Romano and everything else about his life. I knew that you guys were going to want to Springsteen him up. So I was prepared to do, let you guys, you and David do the heavy lifting, but uh, I don't know. I kind of got into it too and really got into, uh, well, all his stories, but yes, the Springsteen stories kind of all roads led back to Springsteen in this. Yes. And yeah, when Phil's passionate about something, you really know it because, uh, yeah, he really gets into it. We asked Phil what is, uh, we wondered what Phil's favorite Bruce Springsteen song is. Yeah, uh, I think I have one. I think you I think have one at the ready. What I is do. it? Okay. I think it's, it's 10th Avenue Freeze. Because, because it, it has everything that I love about Springsteen. It tells his story. The, the, it's, joy, it's, the joy, the majesty. You know, that, that opening is like a, the king is coming. It's like a fanfare. <laughs> and then the drum roll, and then you're in this great, joyous, swinging rock and roll that has ties to the swing era of jazz, and it's just a big, fun song. Are we going to end with Phil Rosenthal? But, you know, you would, I, I think uh, Holly loves to acknowledge everyone, which which we should. I mean, <laughs> first of all, uh, before you get started, Holly, I want to thank Joel Graves, who cr he created our theme song. He composed it. He wrote it. And it's just brilliant. And we play it every episode. And I uh, I'm just so thankful for Joel for creating this uh, wonderful one minute block of music that we play on every episode. So yes. thank you to Joel Graves. Thank you to Nick Longo, who has created our logo. We love Nick Longo. He's uh, whenever we need something, he gives us a little touch up. And uh, so thank, thank you, Nick. Um, and then, but, but we also had others in 2021 that, that Holly will acknowledge it as well, that I she was giddy about, you were giddy about all these people. I feel so lucky. We had such a great year with guests and I just, I, I want to mention everybody. I mean, I can't, I, I, I'm looking at this list and the, the, like the authors that we talked to authors, you know, who are also artists, but some of them, some of them wrote books like, Oh my God, Richard Blade. We love Richard Blade is our, is our current and our history. And, uh, 
he wrote, he, he's actually, you know, quite an author. He has a few books, but he was fabulous and always, you know, knowledgeable. Midge Truby is such a treat. She wrote this cookbook, Rock Doesn't Roll in an Empty Stomach. And she's traveled with all the, you know, old rock and roll bands. Well, I say old, but like 70s. She is a sheer delight and she will always be a friend, you know, friend of the show. She was so much fun. Like J.J. French and Steve Farber, J.J. French of, of Twisted Sister. <laughs> they were fun. They were fun and, you know, insightful. And Tom Bojor and Richard Beanstalk, who you already mentioned, but they are, you know, should be our rock and roll uh, encyclopedia from from now on. I, there were just, I can't I, even. I should also mention, I think your favorite, uh, um, Annie Zaleski, who wrote a book about Duran Duran. The 33 and a third book about Rio is really wonderful. Duran Duran's new album that came out this year, I listened to it uh, this actually this week, and it is a banger i am shocked how good this is like oh my god one of my favorites from this year i was really happy to to hear duran duran is back their album is called future past and uh i highly recommend you give it a listen or two or three so uh thank you to annie for rekindling my love of duran duran and also um thank you to my friends we had on the show melissa gould has a, an amazing book that just did phenomenally well this year called Widowish. Joel Oberstein, one of my my really great friends, uh, unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Uh, but Melissa has written this amazing book, Widowish, that I highly recommend. Really a, a wonderful read. So, yeah. so thank you to Melissa uh, uh, for jumping onto our 80s podcast to talk about this issue. It was uh, it was a really good episode. I think that kicked off our, our literary year, right? She might have been our first author uh, interview. And we talked to to Paul Reese, who wrote a book on John Mellencamp and Kat Goldman, who, who wrote a memoir. She's a, a singer songwriter and Michelangelo Matos, Jonathan McHugh, Gary Spivak and R.J. Hale the movie Long Live Rock, which was a really great kind of a tribute to to heavy metal rock festivals. Indeed. Jonathan McHugh directed it. Gary was the producer. R.J. Hale is one of the artists featured from Hailstorm. It was fun to talk about that, to learn more about that heavy metal vibe and the, the camaraderie of the fans. That was a good one. And the, the movie was was fun to watch. And which we didn't talk about when we were talking about our rock hall, our, our rock hall people. Joe Quazala and Kristen Studdard have a podcast, Who Cares About the Rock Hall? They were fun to talk to. Got a lot of good insights on on the whole rock hall, how how the voting goes down. It was pretty interesting. We put out episodes every Friday. So uh, I suggest please subscribe. Spotify has has ratings now. So if you listen on Spotify, give us a five rating, please. Last but not least, I'd like to also thank two people. First of all, Emma Sloan, my daughter, was on an episode where we talked about the songs from the year she graduated in 2017 to the year 1984, which just happens to be the year I graduated high school. So that was uh, that was a really wonderful talk. And then finally, I would like to thank Holly for uh, sticking with me for all of 2021. It's been uh, quite a quite a journey. Fortunately, I got to see you live and in person in 2021. So that was cool. We saw actually uh, we went to the movies. We ate food. We did some things. So that was nice. We, we did. We had some Apollonia's pizza. Thanks, Phil Rosenthal, for that. We and saw I, some I... Sparks movies. <laughs> we were able to get together a few times, which was really, uh, really fun and, and a treat and kind of surprising. 
yeah, the way I, things are going. When I listened to our 2020 episode, we had mentioned that we hadn't seen each other in nine months and that you could have had a baby at that time. <laughs> so in I'm like, theory. In theory. Like, I am, okay. Well, can I can I say thank you to you too? I, I feel so fortunate and just so lucky to be able to do this with you. I enjoy every one of our, our shows and your friendship as well. So thank you. Pleasure is mutual. Again, I uh, look forward to uh, doing this uh, in 2022. This, this is fun. Let's keep doing it. Cheers to 2022. All right. Please don't make it a 2020 TOO. Let's make it a 2022, like a new year where we get to enjoy the things that we love to do. Yes, All I'm that. saying is I'm looking forward to uh, New Year. So cheers. I wish I had. I have a, just a cup of water. So you don't, you're not supposed to cheer in water. That's, the, that's the bad luck, I think. Oh, really? I think so. I think I read something. It's got to be something substantial. I've never heard that. Maybe I just made it up. I don't know. <laughs> well, cheers to you. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers to you. And until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.